Good morning, and thank you for starting your day with us. And welcome to an event organized by Liquid Gas Europe in partnership with Euractiv. I'm Rome Ziding. I'll be moderating today's debate on rural futures, ensuring the energy performance building director, the EPBD, leaves no one behind. A big thank you, of course, to everyone who is joining us online. And a reminder, if you have a comment or a question, do put it into our chat page, along with the name of the panelists it's directed at, and we'll be picking out your questions during this debate. So do get involved starting from now. Now, Russia's war on Ukraine has, amongst other things, set off a global energy crisis, pushing all of our household bills up, heightening the threat of energy poverty for so many. Now, the bloc is acting fast to outpace the fallout from this crisis, especially when it comes to energy. Initiatives such as Repower EU look to chart a path to phase out dependency on Russian fossil fuels and also to transform Europe's energy system. Now, the revision of the EPBD could be a powerful tool for the European Commission to help reduce dependency and overall EU emissions by 55% by that key target date of 2030. Buildings, if you didn't know it, they are the single largest energy consumer in Europe, but 75% are actually inefficient. But one major demographic in this is also being overlooked. The 130 million Europeans that actually make up our rural communities. Now, according to the OECD, rural areas are crucial for the green transition. They cover around 80% of OECD country territories. A European example is Latvia, where 50% of its population lives in rural areas. So with so much untapped potential for fighting climate change, could the smart redesign of rural buildings have a transformational impact on addressing climate change and the circular economy for member states? And how then can we empower these local communities, the entrepreneurs, the businesses, the local associations, the local governments to be the drivers for sustainability? Well, let's ask the experts. Okay, joining me for this debate are Stefan Moser. He's head of unit B3, products and buildings at DG Enna at the European Commission. We also have EPP Irish MEP Sean Kelly, who is Shadow Rapporteur on the EPBD revision at the European Parliament. Um, oh, we do now have Seamus Boland, good morning. He's a CEO of Irish Rural Link and president of EESC Diversity Europe. And we also have Eva Ibramiuk Lette, she's general manager of Liquid Gas Europe. Good morning and welcome to you all. Um, right, so to understand a little bit about each panelist, I'll now give them the floor a few minutes to introduce themselves. And let's go in order of introduction. Let's start with the European Commission and with Stefan Moser. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thanks a lot, um, uh, Mariam. Um, and I'm very happy to be with you here at, um, at this very interesting event. Indeed, um, I'm, I'm Stefan Moser, um, working uh, in DG Energy on buildings and products. And, and as you said, um, the rural transition is very much at the center um, of, of the Green Deal and in various as aspects. And I'm therefore very happy to, to, to be here and discuss with you the, how to address the challenges there. Okay, short and sweet. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, over to our MEP, Sean Kelly. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Sean Kelly, MEP. Rather South, leader of Fine Gael in the European Parliament, in the EPP group. I was a rapporteur for the energy performance of buildings uh, before Christmas, and now that was the assessment of what went on before. 
and now I'm the rapporteur for the EPP on the EPPD as well. So kept nice and busy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, over now to see Ms. Boland. Um, we hope that your sound is working, that we can hear you. Please go ahead. Uh, unfortunately, Seamus, I think you are muted. So um, we'll let the technical team, um, who obviously the people behind the scenes, so no one else can see, to help you um, unlock your sound. And so we'll go to Eva. Please go ahead. Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, thank you for, for taking your time of, out of your busy schedules to be here today, this morning, to discuss this uh, topic. Um, I represent Liquid Gas Europe, uh, which is an associ European association of um, LPG distributors, but also we represent um, other gaseous fuels, including bio-LPG, renewable LPG, RDME, and other fuels which can be put into the current uh, uh, infrastructure. Um, just perhaps I, I have a little bit of time, then maybe I can just, just quickly kick off why, why we are here today. Um, and why Liquid Gas Europe is behind this, this event as well. Um, well, 40 million homes in, in the EU are not connected to the gas grid. And in those areas, the current uh, fuel mix is still dominated by, by the usage of heating oil and coal. And we believe that the revision of energy performance of buildings directive um, opens an opportunity for policymakers uh, to set up a pathway for cleaner and more efficient buildings in Europe. Um, and the rule on off-grid building stock should be looked at uh, particularly closely uh, due to re their reliance on heating oil and coal. And also because nearly 25% of people in rural areas are at risk of poverty or social exclusion. Uh, liquid gases uh, such as LPG, bio and renewable LPG or RDME are used in off-grid areas for heating in industrial applications and for cooking. And liquid gases offer environmental benefits, uh, such as lower greenhouse gas emissions and also less air pollution in comparison to heating oil and coal. Um, at the same time, uh, they are a cost-effective option for consumers uh, facing those financial difficulties. Uh, because they don't require expensive storage facilities and they can be transported easily at ambient temperatures. Um, they also act as uh, renewable liquid gases, actually act as a drop-in replacement for traditional fossil LPG um, and removing uh, the need for new and expensive infrastructures. Um, our uh, sorry, I, I've heard some disturbance on the call. Um, maybe just to continue, but our our analysis suggests that by 2050, our industry can um, uh, LPG industry can become 100% uh, renewable, um, and it would. And in recent years, we have witnessed a lot of new investments into into the renewable uh, fuels uh, as well. Um, and it is very important to be aware that a significant number of European citizens live in very old rural buildings. Uh, which are very often hard to treat, uh, hard to electrify, and many of the citizens uh, do not have the financial means to invest in extensive renovation or expensive technologies. Um, th that's why we need alternatives like drop-in renewable liquid gases so that all citizens can join the transition and decarbonize in an affordable way. And we actually will be presenting more details of the options for rural areas in our joint publication together with the European Biogas Association, 
which will be available um, uh, uh, later this year. Thank you. Thank you, Eva. Um, I like to said that, you know, LPG hopefully we could become 100% renewable, but also um, on a personal note, I mean, I've grown up in the countryside and I know very well that, you know, we don't have a gas, uh, a main gas connection. And I grew up having a, um, a coal shed in my house. Um, and then eventually, um, years later, we switched over to oil central heating. So, you know, helping the countryside and helping the people there with their energy demands and and, and, and to get you know their energy costs down would be great. Um, let's now go to Seamus Boland. Um, please do take the floor um, for your opening statement, please. Hello. We can hear you, please go ahead. <laughs> Okay, sorry because I entered. Okay, as I, I was saying earlier, I'm uh, working with Irish Rural Link in Ireland and uh, the European Economic Social Committee, of which I'm president of Group 3. Uh, the main problems facing rural communities, not just in Ireland, but in across Europe, are, are really divided in two places. First of all, the supply of energy and home heating. In rural areas, that tends to be often dependent on fossil fuels uh, and is independent of, of systems which, which you would have in urban areas. The second big issue for uh, households and people living in rural areas across Europe and in Ireland is transport. Uh, there is a massive reliance on the car and the heavy types of transport in order to move people and goods. Uh, the problems related to that are still unsolved in terms of uh, alternatives to to the to fossil fuel, to oil, uh, and, and other substances. So we are dependent completely on the fossil fuel fuel, which means that uh, the electricity uh, or the electric vehicles certainly are proving very difficultly mainly because of uh, anxiety in terms of range and charging apparatus. I wrote a report as a rapporteur in the European Economic Social Committee pointing out the huge weaknesses there are in terms of providing charging facilities uh, and also because of the isolation. Uh, this means that we do not have the reliance on electric, so we are totally dependent on uh, the fossil fuel supply of fuel. Uh, and finally, just as a, this is a brief introduction, Irish Rural Inc. have been working with rural communities in Ireland, um, bringing them in terms of education and information uh, to a point where they can at least make choices. There are alternatives and there are other ways of doing things like retrofit, like um, maybe solar power, but these are still a little bit of a distance off. So I leave it at that for the moment. Okay, thank you so much, Seamus. And I think, you know, my sort of big takeaway from what you said there is that it's about changing perspectives, um, and especially with regards to transport, um, you know, there's perhaps not enough public transport links in rural communities. And that's something that we can pick up on a little bit later. Okay, well then, you know, now that you've all introduced yourselves, so let's actually kick off this debate. So I want to start with a bit of a scene setter. Um, and we'll start again in order of reduction. So we start with Stefan. Um, have rural communities been forgotten? If so, 
how far behind are they in terms of decarbonisation and sustainability in comparison then with major cities or capitals? Thanks a lot, uh, Mariam. So I think um, um, the answer is that they need help, they need support, they need advice um, how to how to um, be successful in the green transition, also um, and, and respecting their special needs and what actually would be cost effective. Um, the transition um, um, which we are all facing now accelerated um, uh, in because of the uh, Russian aggression against Ukraine and 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 the need to have also energy security much more in our minds um, does not mean that um, uh, basically uh, everyone has to electrify uh, that uh, there won't be any uh, gaseous or liquid fuels anymore in the future. I think it requires uh, a territorial analysis of of each member state. Um, um, what are uh, the respective advantages and disadvantages of uh, the gases and the uh, um, uh, electricity um, liquid fuels which we which we have? Um, the uh, the objective of the of the Green Deal, also of the revision of the EPBD, uh, but also increasing renewable energy is is uh, to save energy where we can. So to to see what is the potential of uh, in the case of rural communities, to reduce their energy needs by, uh, by uh, of course, uh, increasing the, the performance of the building uh, in a way which which is also cost effective and and makes sense. Uh, looking at the facade, of course, respecting also the cultural heritage, um, uh, but then also see what are, what is the appropriate um, energy may include, of course, uh, solar power, which does not require basically um, a connection to the grid. Uh, you can store the energy at the place of, of consumption, so even in very remote areas. And of course, uh, gaseous and liquid fuels of renewable origin or solid uh, fuels of renewable origin. So this is, um, um, we will, unfortunately, because of the Russian aggression and uh, against Ukraine and uh, the um, the political decisions uh, in relation to phasing out uh, fossil fuels much more quickly than we would have would have uh, envisaged um, under the green deal notably in relation to gas as being a transition fuel we have to to look for alternatives and 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 prioritize even more strongly the uh, the, uh, the the less uh, abundant um, uh, renewable gases uh, such as biogas uh, to where it's most needed. And I think uh, the off-grid solutions which, which uh, renewable gas um, offers, uh, they, are, they, are, they are very precious, but they should also be then reserved for where they make most sense, which is in rural communities, uh, for instance. Uh, and of course, what, what else is available can be, can be used for, for the, uh, for the um, uh, areas in a member state, including urban areas where, where there are several alternatives. Uh, the, the most important alternative for urban areas where there's a, a strong grid, where basically there are lots of uh, lots of um, possibilities to uh, to bring together buildings um, in neighborhood solutions, uh, district solutions. There's of course electrification of heating and cooling um, uh, with heat pumps, but also a district heating in in various ways, including geothermal. Uh, these things are very difficult to establish. I fully agree in rural areas, and therefore I think. Um, the solutions which uh, which uh, ever uh, outlined at the beginning would absolutely work with renewable sources and and also what what uh, Seamus um, um, said um, 
this would not change uh, a major it uh, would not require a major change in in lifestyle but of rather origin of the fuel uh, so not to have fossil um, sources anymore but renewable sources but uh, otherwise uh, i think the impact could be could be relatively limited of course help will always be um, uh, will have to be given to rural communities advice what makes most sense is there uh, another solution for instance in a, in a village which is maybe linked to the grid where then also electrification can of course take place of heating and cooling uh, what makes sense for individual buildings in, in view of the cultural heritage uh, what are the technical solutions to reduce the energy consumption which is always necessary even if um, if otherwise you do not change fundamentally the type of, of heating, uh, energy consumption, getting it down is the task for every one of us is the cheapest fuel, uh, not to use energy, but uh, there will always be residual energy needs. And that's what we have to work on, what makes most sense and requires a strategic approach across the member state territory. Okay, so um, we'll definitely come back to member states and their fossil fuels. Um, use, um, something that we spoke about just before the debate kicked off. Um, so there you were saying there lots, about lots of possibilities, but connection being the issue in rural areas. Uh, MEP Sean Kelly, what's your take? What's the problem then, or the biggest sort of problems um, for the rural communities? Well, I think, as you pointed out, uh, we have 75% of buildings inefficient, so there's a huge job to be done. And the Energy Performance of Buildings Directive is the main legal instrument to do that at EU level. So ensuring the success of the renovation wave will essentially come through five uh, factors, all interlinking. One, the money to pay for innovations. It has been said that 25% in rural areas are at risk of poverty. So that's a question. Then the workers to do the work properly. That's another issue. Then the supply of materials and then an overarching secure regulatory framework to incentivize building owners to undertake the innovations in decarbonization of the energy system. In the majority of cases, electrification at individual level and the district heating from renewable sources will be the most beneficial option, taking into account efficiency, reliability and cost. However, as you've been pointed out, the build environment varies greatly all across the European Union and indeed it represents an expression of cultural heritage and the visualization of a region or country's history. We're all at different starting points with different complexions of infrastructure and capacity, making the need for a balanced mix of modern technologies all the more important, especially for renewables ready heating technologies. The main challenge is to make this transition work for everyone in Europe. And there will be particular challenges for rural businesses and communities. As pointed out, 140 million new citizens live in rural areas, uh, including 40.7 million European households located in rural areas that are not connected to the gas grid. This means that 45% of rural homes are heated mainly from oil and coal. All that has to change over the next number of years, and we have to incentivize people to do that. In my own country, in Ireland, 70% of the rural housing stock use heating oil, over 27% of these heating oil systems were installed before 2020 and therefore old and inefficient. So what's going to be done to change that? <clears throat> I think at European level, there are innovation roadmaps for decarbonizing European heating and cooling in buildings must pay particular attention to rural areas and include 
diversification of energy supply towards higher uptake of renewable energy sources, including efficient use of renewable gases, as Stefan was saying, where it makes more sense. And I think once we have the EPP done here at European level and adopted, what's really needed then is a follow-up at national level. So that if I own a house in rural Ireland or somebody owns a house or a building in rural Europe, you're not leaving it up to themselves to try and find out what's the best way to decarbonize. There should be a roadmap, as we call it, or guidance and saying, you have the following at the moment. You have a Nile pump or you have coal or whatever. Now, the best for your house is A, B or C. And I think that's key because an awful lot of householders, if you ask them, would you like to decarbonize your building? They'd say yes. And then would say, do you want to do it? Yes. How? That's I don't know. So they're waiting for that type of advice. And once we have that advice and then put in measure, the measures to help it, especially the financial supports and where possible linking to the grid, then I think we could make an awful lot of progress. So thank you, Mariam. Well, I just want I just wanted to follow up, um, uh, Mr. Kelly, on what you just talked about. Um, first of all, money. Um, and then also the roadmap, and I think both are really important, um, and they need to follow up at a national level. Um, with money, I think it's a case of changing mindsets, um, so that you know, obviously, these people, as you said, can be helped. Um, you know, now one thing that I noticed that you have actually been talking about a lot. You've called for changes to cap to allow farmers to sell unused electricity from solar power to help their income streams, uh, decrease carbon footprint farms, and help with rising energy costs. So are you seeing sort of any positive reaction or steps towards that, especially when you talk about, you know, local communities need to have this roadmap and that there needs to be more money put into these communities. So we have to change essentially the mindset of the people so that they can get the help they need. Yeah, I have written to the Commission on it, and obviously there's something we'll be discussing at EPPD level with the rapporteurs, etc., and also, of course, with the DG Ag, because the situation has to be that if there is renewable energy being created, then if it's not being utilised in a particular farm, etc., they do need the opportunity to sell it onto the grid, because if you look across Europe at the moment, especially in farms, there are massive sheds with great potential for solar PV, and that will have to be utilised. And particularly when we think of what uh, Stefan was saying and yourself in the beginning, the result of the war in Ukraine, we just have to speed up the whole question of uh, not relying on fossil fuels, particularly from Russia. So this is an opportunity to look at every single possible way to ensure that we decarbonize our building stock. And that will take a mixed technology approach, but it means utilizing every opportunity. So there's no point in having a situation where uh, large buildings, etc., sheds, have the potential to create electricity if we're not prepared to utilize that. 
That seems brilliant. Um, when people, I mean, obviously we were just talking about farmers there um, with Sean Kelly, but there's a misconception when it comes to rural communities. When people think of them, they think instantly of farmers. But just because you don't live in a big city or a capital, it doesn't mean you are one. So give us a kind of sense of who make up these communities, what kind of people, what kind of businesses, um, and then what do you then see as their main challenges for this transformation? A question for me, Marion? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I missed the beginning. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And indeed, I would absolutely conclude, agree with, and concur with the uh, statements of Sean Kelly, particularly on the Irish situation. I think I'd give you an example. In July 2020, we held what we thought would be a small event, uh, managing to ask questions around people's willingness to undergo transition uh, in a very rural area. And again, lots of many of the attendees were non-farmers or people living in the villages and towns nearby. We held a, what we thought was going to be a small meeting in July of 2020, it was absolutely packed out with people asking very definitive questions. And Sean was asking them there a moment ago. Uh, what can we do was the bottom line that they were asking. And I think what was really missing um, in the sense that we did try to answer them, we were doing it with our own resources. But what was really missing, I thought, at that meeting was a definitive national plan. And we held a European conference in Ireland only two weeks ago, and we found the same uh, deficit across Europe. Each country has signed up to the major COP and all of those COPs, Scotland and all of the rest. But each national country has actually done nothing to prepare uh, communities, people living in rural and even in urban areas uh, as to what their options are. And we would say, you talked about finance. One of the things that came up, you know, some people live just in a house. They may, they may have employment or they may not. Or, or even if they have employment, uh, they still have a significant conversion to make, which could cost anywhere in the region of 80, 50 to 80,000 euros. Now, there are two, obviously you need grants and you need supports, but no country can support uh, totally with grants that kind of sum. So you need a system uh, based on the various financial tools, such as either guaranteed loans, low interest loans, to assist along with the grants. You also need a technical specification in terms of what best suits each individual house. And many, many people do not know, for example, if gas is really suitable. They do not know if the solar power really suits them. They don't know whether wind really suits them. And each country we've asked for in Irish Link should put together their own uh, environmental conference uh, where there is a strong sense of negotiation as to what suits the individual country because each country is different. And so, Marianne, I would say there is a dearth of knowledge 
I, and I would also point my fingers at the major um, um, suppliers of energy, irrespective of what area they come from, because certainly when we approach some of them to explain even their own best uh, examples, they were rather reluctant to come. So there is a dearth of knowledge. People are asking, they're desperate to make the transition, to make, to honor the changes uh, signed up in the COP agreement. But on the ground, all they know is it costs in the region of 50 to 80,000 euro for per household. And then I haven't even touched on the rural transport, which is another area where we have proposals. And that area needs to be resolved as well. Okay, so Eva, your thoughts then, um, you know, from hearing, from listening to all of you, um, you know, keywords, just roadmap, money, you know, the forgotten rural communities, the lack of public transport, they need support, they need financial aid or grants. Um, but of course, all of this starts with access to information. So how would you say, or what would you say is key for mobilizing these communities? And uh, Thank you, Mariam. I, I fully agree with, with what has just been said. Um, in, I'm, I'm Polish, so maybe I bring a little bit more Polish example here. Um, um, in Poland, there is a free initiative, Future of Rural Energy in Europe initiative, who ran actually um, a survey among the presidents and mayors of uh, small cities and villages. And they actually um, believe that they're not really implementing uh, the the um, uh, climate law to the extent they should be. And uh, the problem is exactly the co uh, lack of co-financing uh, possibilities, uh, lack of individual subsidy programs. Uh, so there is there is there is a huge challenge there, def definitely. Um, but at the same time, I think there is a huge interest in investing into clean uh, energies. Uh, we see a huge interest in renewable wind. We see a huge interest in, in solar wind. Uh, solar uh, power uh, uh, or solar installations, uh, um, and for instance, um, um, we also see a huge interest in 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 in, in gasless fuels as a solution. Hence, um, what we need actually is um, uh, to give this uh, possibility to choose uh, for those rural communities of of that energy source that is. Uh, really uh, possible for them because not every single village is on us, not every single city uh, that is off grid is in the same situation. Uh, so having this technology technology neutrality is key. There is lots of solutions that deliver low, uh, lower carbon uh, uh, that they are lower carbon, um, so reduce the, the CO two emissions or reduce reduce air pollution because it's also a huge topic. Um, that we haven't yet touched upon here, um, that are available. But for for that, we need to make sure that we have that that consumers, that people in rural areas, have the flexibility to choose. And I fully agree that there is lack of understanding of which energy source is 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 the best for you. I think a lot of people just choose the cheapest energy form, and we see that. Uh, big move in, in Poland. It, it's an exceptional situation right now with the move with the war in, in Ukraine. Um, but we see that uh, you know people are are, are just uh, terrified uh, before the winter. The prices are going up, uh, all prices across the board, including energy prices. But the fact that you know we might be facing uh, a cuts in security, a cuts in gas supply uh, for the winter, that's also quite worrisome. Um, hence. Um, 
allow all the all the technologies, allow all the solutions uh, for uh, for those communities to be available. I think that's basically uh, the key one of the key elements of of uh, to to the situation. Absolutely, and there will be lots of you know worried families. Um, you know, looking towards winter and wondering how they're going to be able to afford um, their energy. Um, we are going to be losing um, our Irish MEP Sean Kelly um, because he has to go to another um, uh, meeting. So, Sean Kelly, if you please could take the floor and just um, give some final thoughts for us, please. Yeah, thank you very much, Mary. I'm sorry I have another meeting in a few minutes. But I think this is hugely important. Number one, that we get the regulation right and have it all embracing and particularly to allow for local generation because that's going to be key in rural areas to also help to create jobs etc and as well as that we must allow for all technologies that can be utilized most effectively in different parts and that includes biofuels uh, biomass and of course the usual ones wind solar etc and i think the key then is going to be how we're going to follow up as Shemis was saying a few moments ago, that we need to give advice to people. And that's where our proposal for one-stop shops are going to be crucial for this to happen as soon as possible. And the financial aspect of it cannot be overstated. And in view of that, I put some proposals uh, to the ECB, etc. I'm having a meeting with them this week so that we can take all that into account and feed it into our uh, proposals which will be finalized essentially by the end of this year so we're moving along quickly we hope we get a strong uh, directive here that will cover all the angles and then we'll make it not alone just ambitious but also give the tools by which it will actually become a reality and rural areas are going to be crucial for this they have been somewhat forgotten, maybe up until now, but they will be taking central stage from now on because of the figures which you pointed out in the beginning. So many people living there, if we want to decarbonize, we have to do it to all buildings. And also, of course, the opportunities that are there that need to be maximized. So my colleagues and I hopefully will uh, include all that in the, the Energy Performance and Buildings Directive, facilitate a mixed technology approach and to ensure that we get an effective outcome that will basically ensure the buildings number one that they can be insulated properly that's going to be another key aspect before you start putting in uh, heat pumps or whatever but also that every single combination of technologies that are available would be available and then the advice for people as to what would be best for their particular area and then, of course, the financial incentives to make it happen, be it by way of uh, grants, which are important, be it by way of low interest loans, or maybe by way of payback when you're making the savings. We have to look at all that. But it's exciting, and I think the will is there to do it right. And I'm looking forward to cooperating with you. And particularly, I would welcome any feedback from people before we finalize, because it's the stakeholders in particular, those with experience, <clears throat> who can help us to get the best possible outcome. And that's what we want. So thank you very much, Mariam, and thanks to all the panelists. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Mr. Kelly. Um, thank you so much for being part of this debate. Okay, well, guys, let's keep moving forward then. Um, I mean, we were just discussing, Eva was also talking about, um, you know, winter supply and the fact that lots of people um, are worried, the, the Ukraine crisis. So, Stefan Moser then. We're in an energy crisis. We're in a cost of living crisis. Um, as a sort of general rule, rural buildings, um, whether they're private premises um, or business premises, often they're bigger per square foot than the average sort of townhouse or city building um, or establishment, and they are also older. So not everyone, especially in these rural areas, have you know a high level of income. So what are the solutions to help them with regards to renovation? Um, a few of the panelists have been talking about national plans, but how does the European Commission perhaps fit in here to help sort of further those national plans and help people get the help in these rural communities to start renovating their businesses or, or individual premises? Thanks a lot, um, Mariam. I, I, can, I can only also say that uh, I, I fully agree with what um, um, uh, Sean, Shimos, and, and Eva have have said. Uh, I think we are we we converge uh, uh, fully on 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 the on the on the challenges, but also the tools uh, to be used. So national plans um, um, means um, in the practical um, cooperation that you consult, that you take seriously uh, the um, the the needs, but also the uh, the challenges uh, which which are there at the local level, so it ha it requires a bottom up uh, approach. So basically, it requires that each community, each uh, village, let's say, um, in a rural area, would actually uh, be aware uh, what buildings there are, what people need, uh, what is the current situation, in order to to then analyze um, what could be solutions. Uh, there, there's a distinction, of course, between the grid. Uh, some villages are connected to the grid. The question is then how strong is the grid? What would it cost to upgrade the grid? Then you have a completely different set of solutions. And of course, the buildings which are off-grid, which are basically um, or uh, linked to a very um, weak grid, which uh, would be very costly to upgrade. Um, and, and the same comes for the buildings. Um, what buildings are there? How old are they? Uh, what are the solutions to these buildings? What are the useful um, purposes of that building, how they can be repurposed. You mentioned some of the buildings are very large uh, because there were farms before. Uh, often the farms have changed or uh, uh, business are, businesses are moving in, in rural communities, which have different needs. So the question is indeed, how do we refurbish the building so that it becomes most useful to the people living there today? And, and then also, um, uh, what uh, can be done to, to improve the energy performance of that particular building? What are the low-hanging fruits, for instance, which are not that costly but bring a huge effect? Um, much more than in urban areas where you have lots of, I would say, more standard buildings, uh, in rural areas you have often very unique uh, buildings. Yeah? Even a farmhouse can be very different depending on how old it is, what is the heritage component, uh, and what can be done about that building. And then the question is, what would have to be the heated space of a building? You don't necessarily, if you live in a large building, need to heat the entire building. You can choose to somehow disconnect some part of the building for useful purposes, which, which don't require heating. For instance, uh, uh, holiday um, 
destinations or or where 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 you don't where where you don't have tourists necessarily so much in the winter, and you would have then an unheated part of the building, which is somehow uh, where you save energy, of course, by not heating, and the rest of the building which is heated. So it requires a really targeted approach. And and then of course once you have done that, an analysis for each building in a rural community. What? How much does it cost to to get there? Uh, you mentioned the low income of people. Um, absolutely, uh, many rural communities are um, uh, vulnerable in terms of income. Uh, they have often also a volatile income. They can't necessarily count on a steady revenue uh, because uh, they, they 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 don't know. It depends on the business they are running. Um, and then public support has to come in. Um, we we have been saying that but also um, ensuring as much as possible that from the european level we give the signal that the the worst performing buildings with the vulnerable communities should be prioritized um, we need to think social policy together with buildings policy buildings policy is energy and climate policy under the green deal it's also energy security policy and uh, from that point of view um, we all need to save energy. So I think uh, improving the 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 the, uh, the um, and reducing the consumption of the building uh, is absolutely key. Uh, so the energy efficiency component, but then also a, a strategic reflection: what actually needs to be heated in the building, uh, and what can be left unheated, for instance, if it's too large for today's uses, for instance. And then, of course, the source of energy. Uh, so once we have done the refurbishment, improvement of the the facade, the shell of the building, the roof, the windows, the leaky parts. Uh, in many old buildings, there are simply leaky parts where the wind blows through. Um, also in cities, of course, but uh, of course, if a building is very old, this happens more frequently. So this can be closed at relatively low cost. You need an advisor who goes there and helps the people saying, OK, I look at the building, I see the following weaknesses. This could be done about that. This is the idea which, which Sean uh, Kelly just mentioned, one-stop shops. So you. You turn to one place um, and and you get free advice ideally free or very very low cost advice that uh, you would um, get a full picture of what can be done this is a cost effective investment of society because the cost of uh, of leaving it open and not doing that is much bigger people don't know they they would then rather do nothing uh, rather than investing in something where they are not sure so it's a it's a huge gain uh, for qualified people to be, uh, I would say, paid by the by the public, by by the by the by the by the by the government, and 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 help people go there. Really, in particular, when it's unique buildings and not standardized buildings, in urban areas you have standardized buildings in many places. Of course, you have also unique buildings, heritage or not, uh, but many buildings, either multi-apartment houses or terraced houses, etc., where you can have professional advice from from people who have done that before where you have more or less a kind of package of solutions which have been tested and which can be applied with slight modifications for for each building or each type of building but this is less the case in urban in, in rural areas and then as mentioned before the supply of energy that also requires a very specific and dedicated analysis um, what is available? Uh, I think uh, we we pretty much um, concur that uh, there's a, normally a very big solar energy potential in rural communities because there are large roofs. Um, there may also be a wind energy potential for villages uh, forming an energy community. 
of course, um, there can be um, a gaseous potential, so uh, to have um, biogas being used. Uh, biogas can even be produced on the spot. So in many rural communities, there can be a producer at least who can deliver to people living there. And of course, you have also biomass, uh, even, even the use of, of uh, wood-based uh, biomass, I mean, um, which is also produced very close by. So there are lots of solutions, and I think it requires this in-depth analysis um, for each community, uh, what makes sense. Uh, ideally, not everyone on their own, but rather systemically. So a village, um, what houses are there? Maybe 100 houses, what solutions do we find for these buildings? Um, and, and that will also then reduce the cost of advice and allow for a systemic approach to the whole village rather than to each house. So this will be much more efficient and should be applied there as well. Okay, thank you, Stefan. So lots of um, ideas and, and possible solutions um, for all communities there and what they could do with renovation projects. Um, Eva, I mean, obviously, when it comes to rural communities, we're saying one size does not fit all. But what would your one advice be to somebody who is looking to renovate their sort of, you know, oversized house and to make it more sort of sustainable? Um, I, my advice would be yes, please do it <laughs> because um, actually it brings it brings a lot of um, um, benefits financial in the long term because you have your costs running costs later on uh, much lower than than previously, but also you improve your health um, if you, for instance, want to change uh, uh, your heating system from uh, heating oil to to coal uh, from heating oil coal to uh, to gaseous fuels or or PV, um, or um, that would uh, dramatically uh, also improve the environment you're living in. And um, so I think that general advice would be um, try to find out what type of um, uh, loans are available for that um, and, and educate yourself. And I think there are some advice, at least the industry has set up some, some sorts of advices um, to, to help making those decisions. Uh, for individual households in rural areas, so that's that's available. Uh, maybe needs to be scaled up, but it, it, it's still possible to find. Um, and uh, find advice: what fits your house best? If you have a historic house, obviously you cannot install a an, a PV on your rooftop, uh, but maybe another solution would be uh, adequate uh, LPGs, for instance, quite uh, quite often used there um, as, as as alternative solutions for heating, um, or installation of uh, of uh, micro CHP, so micro cogeneration, which has um, uh, heat and power at the same time. So there's a lot of interesting solutions available um, on the market um, uh, and they are affordable. Uh, so the uh, upfront investments uh, into that are not uh, as high as, as, you know, they can be still quite manageable and, uh, and, and they will offer you a, a much better quality of life. That would be my advice to, to, to those households. Thank you. And Seamus, um, is renovation taking hold in your area? Do you have any examples of um, renovation projects? We could just detail a little bit of those. Yes, there are uh, examples. Uh, I know in, in Ireland we have one area, it's called the Leitrim Homes Renovation uh, uh, Cooperative, and they've uh, managed to uh, 
I think, uh, renovate something like in a population of 25,000 in that particular area, something like over uh, in the last couple of years, a thousand homes. Um, and that's based on a community forming a kind of cooperative, uh, which it, which seeks to find the correct answers and manage to establish a, a company who would actually install and do the renovation, which would solve some of the issues around trying to find workers, etc. I think really what, what we've said in Irish Rural Link, now I wrote it in my chat box, but I don't know if it's got to the, anyone else, uh, we've asked for, uh, we, we're using the initials REAP, R-E-A-P, uh, as the Rural Energy Action Plan. We believe that if each country uh, would simply put together the Rural Energy Action Plan, which if distilled downwards to the local communities, the towns, the village, would allow a situation, as Stefan and indeed Eva has said, bring the information to the households directly so that any household can say, okay, I have a unique rural house. I have a, maybe some farm sheds. Maybe I have, you know, some unique uh, geographical perspective which could uh, manage to create my own type of energy uh, and therefore I could work. But you need examples in terms of uh, uh, practices. You need you need situations where you've actually seen this happen before and you need the expertise to bring it about. Equally, if you organize the same kind of energy cooperative in a local area, they could also look at the transport needs of that area because they can be, uh, it can be whatever is suitable in a particular area in terms of the transport needed, whether it's delivery, whether it's buses, whether it's simple transport of people. Um, and the only way you can do that is to bring ordinary communities into the discussion, consult with them, make them part of it, make it easier to form local energy cooperatives because we do have some local energy cooperatives in Ireland, not enough, and they, they do need to support. And I have to say that, you know, it is up to the departments of finance to start devising um, what I call financial ways and means in order to bring this about. It's not that rural communities expect to be 100% funded for all of this. It's, it's, it's impossible, really. But what they can and should expect is the financial tools available, whether it's, as I said, uh, local guaranteed loans, public banking loans, or whatever way it's done, in such a way that they can that they are linked to the ability to pay back, etc. But all of this requires, as I said at the beginning, Miriam, uh, a proper national action plan or national energy action plan to to really give the tools to people and to the companies. But I would say companies could do a lot more. But certainly um, we haven't got that. It's too disjointed. Uh, it's too dependent on different initiatives and it's too scattered. So we need to collect it and put it into, as uh, Tink Staffan said, the one-stop shop. Okay, so you're talking there about you know national plans and, and rural energy action plans. Um, before we go to audience questions, um, I wanted to have one last question um, with Stefan Moser. Um, you know, 
as Seamus was saying there, having national plans and rural action plans, but how can communities take one step forward when member states are taking two steps back? Um, and we were speaking just before we went live um, about one new big challenge, Germany and also the Netherlands. Um, they've decided to fire back up their coal plants as Russia, of course, throttles um, gas supply. So given that the European Commission obviously has this repower EU um, proposal, isn't it sort of embarrassing, not just for the European Commission, but the EU as a whole? Um, and is there any action to be taken regarding member states who are going back towards fossil fuels? Thank you, Mariam. Um, I mean, um, I, can, I can only state again that uh, how much I agree with what Simos uh, uh, just mentioned now. Um, I think the need for, for systematic planning, but uh, not in the way that someone from the capital would say, that's your plan and now let's do it like that. And indeed, as Simo said, work with the people at um, in the local communities and of course in, in the rural areas and the rural communities and, 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 and identify the, the needs, objectives and possibilities, opportunities and work out basically solutions together. Only then such national uh, territorial planning will be successful in the EPBD. We have um, these building renovation plans and we have, of course, also have the governance of the uh, energy union with national energy and climate plans. So the quality of that plan is absolutely essential in the sense of, of being uh, an acceptable and uh, an agreed reference framework um, and not just something which is written by a few informed officials in the capital or even worse um, some officials in brussels uh, writing it for the whole of europe this is not possible and would never be the, the objective then it will be successful and will be accepted also um, in in the content by the local communities so mariam as regards your your question um i think repower eu um um, um is is uh, is a is a call um by the european commission to accelerate and intensify the green energy transition for the benefits of energy security to improve energy security, which has been dramatically put into jeopardy by Russia's um, horrible aggression against Ukraine. So uh, I think is unquestioned uh, by um, by the member states, by any member state. Um, uh, the two member states which you mentioned, uh, they are deeply committed to that. Uh, so they are they are deeply committed to. The green energy transition they do whatever they can um even and going beyond uh, beyond obligations far beyond obligations in that respect um, but um in the case of germany for instance as you mentioned germany and the netherlands um, uh, as it happened also with other member states um, uh, there was um, indeed a role for natural gas in the energy transition while getting out out of coal and in the case of Germany also nuclear energy. This has been changed dramatically by the events uh, triggered uh, by the Russian aggression. Therefore we need to see how we get through the next winter. So the first objective also for Germany but, uh, but uh, for all member states is to save energy, to see how we can save energy because um, that's the, the, the idea of the EU safe plan. Lots of member states are doing also national additional measures, campaigns, but also further action to save energy. That is necessary. Then the question is, what energy do we still need despite all the saving efforts and the accelerated deployment of renewable energy, solar energy, wind energy, uh, geothermal, any other forms of, of renewable energy? 
but we will not cover the gap in case there would be a complete cut uh, of natural gas by by Russia, which is now, I would say, not excluded. The recent developments, uh, even of the last few days, they point to, a, I would say, um, a dramatic escalation of the issue. So it's not a de-escalation. We are moving towards an escalation of the of the threat. Um, we are we are we have to face this. So the way to do that is to fill up the storages of gas. We need natural gas for a variety of purposes during the winter. For this, we need to fill up the storages, make them nearly full. Yeah? So there are different figures floating around. We will try to get as far as we can. At least 80 or even 90 percent um, should be filled. Um, and we have to do whatever we can to fill them up. Uh, so not to use now natural gas while we don't absolutely need it for, I would say, survival in the winter. Now, when it's when when it's still um, warm, uh, so where you don't need it for, for instance, heating, or where uh, where um, because we need it for various purposes, we need for heating, but also for industry. So the question is, what alternatives do we have in sectors which can also use other fuels? Um, that includes, of course, um, uh, in particular the um, the uh, the electric uh, the the electric generation, so electric uh, generation of electricity. And there, each member state has different options. Some member states have nuclear energy. Um, some member states have decided to move out of nuclear energy. So in some cases, there is now indeed the question, what else do we have? And that would then lead to coal uh, being a kind of residual, relatively secure energy source, which we all agree and we all know that this is not um, something we should uh, um, get back to. Um, but um in order to survive a winter or the following winters we don't know how long this will take um there's no other way of doing that um so we have to accept that uh, for the benefits of energy security um to maintain the essential functions of society and the economy um you may have to have an exception and and go for something more polluting than otherwise you would have done so this is actually what's happening in in germany but also in in the Netherlands, uh, the Netherlands is in a very specific situation because they have decided uh, for very specific national regions uh, reasons to move out of gas because of the earthquake risks in in the north of the Netherlands. But they still have to survive. They don't want to go back on that and say let's have some more earthquakes and and therefore use gas. So they look for the other solutions. They are both deeply committed to to uh, to improving and accelerating the energy transition to look for alternatives, renewable energy. But in the very short term, in a few months, you cannot do that. So you basically have to, in some times, also res resort then to polluting forms of energy. And uh, I think that's the price to pay um, in, in this exceptional crisis scenario. OK, well, is this the price uh, to pay for generations to come ever? Do you think that this um, needs must approach is actually okay by Germany and the Netherlands and potentially other member states. Um, well, it's as I as I mentioned, we are in a very exceptional situation right now with the war in Ukraine. Um, going back to coal in heating or um, or or other polluting energy sources is never a good choice. Um, it has an impact on um, on the health of citizens. Uh, first of all, as the emissions are really high from individual um, uh, stoves when when coal or or uh, wood or uh, 
or heating oil is used in them. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's a um, it's a it's it's a sustainable solution at all. I think we do have sustainable solutions in heating, especially in off-grid areas, um, which I mentioned uh, that the bio LPG has extremely uh, big environmental benefits over coal and heating oil, especially when it comes to all the uh, pollutants, uh, NOx, SOx, uh, PM, all those things that actually uh, cause lung cancers and, and, and heart diseases. Um, all those pollutants can be eliminated by usage of of, uh, um, of cleaner fuels already today, which are already affordable. Now we are talking about the grand scale. We are talking about the big supplies. We are talking uh, so what what the countries like Germany and and the Netherlands are doing uh, from their perspective. Uh, it's 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 about security of supply. So I will obviously leave that to to always to the countries to decide on that, but. Uh, it, it is not going in the direction that that uh, we are all heading into, which is uh, uh, which is having a cleaner uh, environment for all. Um, but at the same time, I just want to underline that um, the LPG sector is is a very versatile sector. Um, the LPG deliverers are from across the globe, um, so we are not that dependent on the on the Russian supplies. And uh, we have full storages ahead for the winter. So when it comes to uh, at least uh, delivering um, uh, safe and secure um, um, supplies to our consumer this winter, uh, our industry is ready uh, at this point. Okay, lovely. Okay, well, listen, um, we have about 10 minutes left. So we're going to start with audience questions, but it's going to be very sort of rapid fire. Um, so do try to keep your um, answers quite short, panelists. Okay, so first one from John Taylor. He says, will the EPBD allow someone to install a boiler in the next decade and beyond to use a renewable gas or a renewable liquid gas to heat their home or business? Stefan, perhaps you could take that one first. Um, yes, uh, thanks, uh, Mariam. Definitely, yes. Um, it is, of course, um, um, uh, an interplay between the EPD and member state choices. So uh, the EPD um, is 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 an instrument to to encourage the and and accelerate the transition towards uh, a higher energy performance, energy efficiency, and renewable energy. So I would say, from that angle, um, renewable energy um, sources will always be fine. The question is, of course, how exactly member states will will shape uh, their priorities. Um, um, we have um, included in the EPVD um, uh, an empowerment for member states and a clarification for member states to ban fossil fuel-based solutions for heating and cooling. Yeah? So, and to to stop and and uh, now accelerate the phase out of financing to fossil fuel-based heating and cooling. But that's fossil fuel-based. That's the policy objective. So, renewable sources are not part of that and um, i think we should always allow for um, a mix of technologies technology technological neutrality and uh, but it's of course for member states uh, to decide how they would like to promote for instance different types of technologies that actually is in line then with the national plans to be worked out with stakeholders bottom up um, uh, what are the opportunities in the territory what are the respective availabilities of for instance uh, renewable gases, renewable liquids, renewable biomass uh, more broadly, um, and how much of that is there. Because as much as I agree 
uh, for instance, with Eva, that, um, um, that, that, that your industry stands ready to supply for local communities. But this is a kind of, I would say, residual form of energy, which can help a lot in 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 certain communities. But it is of it's of course not a major, I would say, um, um, solution to the entire nation. Uh, there's simply not enough of it. Yeah? So if it's of renewable energy uh, origin. Fossil fuels is another thing. There we need to get out, that's clear. But if you look at renewable sources, we have a very limited amount of that energy available. And, and that's something for the member states to work out how much of each renewable source is available and where it should be used. Okay, we have another question. It's from Gohar Rahman. Um, it's actually directed to Stefan, but I'm going to go to Eva with this one. Um, Gohar says, should the EPBD be amended to offer the flexibility to use off-site solutions, including renewable liquid gas, to achieve zero emissions for buildings not connected to the grid? Eva? Um, thank you for this question. I think the um, the on-site generation is a little bit of a showstopper, let's say, for any other types of uh renewable solutions that could be used in, in rural communities and, and currently um, the text says so uh, but this question is indeed I think more for Stefan whether there is a possibility still to uh, amend this uh, from our perspective uh, indeed uh, if we can extend this um, not only to on-site generation but to um, recognize that other gasless fuels um, including biogas, bioLPG, renewable DME, uh, that they can um, also uh, be included in, in, in this solution. Okay, uh, Seamus, there's a question from Mike Parr. He says he's developing a rural community energy scheme. The main problem is not money. He says we can raise that. The problem is the electricity distribution company. And he says it's a regulatory failure. Any thoughts on that? Sorry, Mike. You broke up a little bit in asking that question. Could you just repeat oh, it? I apologies. just missed a little bit of it. No worries. So Mike says he's developing a rural community energy scheme. The main problem is not money. He has that or they have that. The problem is the electricity distribution company. And he says it's a regulatory failure. So what advice would you have for Mike? Yeah, well, that's the problem he is alluding to is effectively... May, it may be uh, the dominance of the uh, distribution company, and perhaps they they don't uh, they don't want to change. I suppose habits of a lifetime. Uh, they've been distributing the electricity in a certain way, uh, and they don't want to change that. And I'm assuming that's the case. This is unfortunately, like it or not, we do need the kind of legislation. Uh, to ensure that they can be a lot more flexible and that there are better opportunities for Mike to get involved in, which is why I am proposing uh, the Rural Energy Action Plan as a basis uh, to iron out these problems because uh, sometimes the enemy is the, the old structures that were there that people don't want to change, especially the companies involved. It does require legislation and it does require, as I said, a rural energy action plan. And Seamus, I'll stick with you for the next question. It's also from Mike and he's talking about community energy. Um, and this sort of, you know, goes hand in hand with a question that I had, which was, you know, could community ownership help really fast track uh, the application of the EPBD in rural communities, so having better 
rural coalitions, associations, power to the local governments and agencies to accelerate any sort of partnerships and enterprise? Well, firstly, the answer in terms of does it fast track and does it help? Of course it does. It's been proven time and time again when communities form, whether it's cooperatives or simply community organisations, uh, to do anything. I mean, rural water schemes exist all over, I think, the continent. They were devised and developed by local rural communities and cooperatives. They do need the overarching protection of legislation, of course. They do need uh, the, um, as it were, the goodwill of government or the government uh, that exists. Uh, and if they have that, then they will do it. The great advantage of a rural, uh, local rural action group, whether it's a cooperative or whatever way they form, is that you will have complete buy-in from everybody in that area because everybody in that area will have had a say in developing the plans, will have had a say in even organizing how those plans are implemented. And the implementation is just as important as even the development. So again, it, 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 it does need leadership at a national basis, but once that leadership is given, then you hand it over to uh, the local communities to do that and give them the tools in order to develop and implement the programs. Okay, Stefan, question for you now from Sebastian. He's talking about European level financial incentive plans to support communities and rural actors in the EPBD energy transition. And this is also something I also wanted to ask you about, um, whether you think the European Commission is doing enough with this revision to really um, meet the mountain of the task that there is, and where will the money potentially come from to boost um, the renovation or these complete rebuild in rural areas? And just one other thing is that rural development, from what I understand, it falls under cap right now. I know there's also the new you know, social climate fund, which is mobilizing 72 odd billion. Um, but where's the money going to come from, Stefan? Well, the, I think what is important uh, is to see that um, financing um, and financing advice should actually also go through the one-stop shop. So, for the for the for the citizens, including in rural communities, there there should be a very easy to understand guide where you can get the money from and and whom to talk to, how to apply, um, and there there should not be a distinction between either European money or national money or international money from from other. Uh, donors, um, for instance, and of course also private financing, yeah? so um, which which is facilitated, and um, and where conditions have been improved thanks possibly to uh, to, uh, to to guarantees and and reducing the risks. So that that's absolutely crucial. But but there are of course European sources which uh, have to be combined with national sources and private sources. Um, um, the money at, from the European level comes from the structural funds, cohesion policy funds, including, of course, uh, um, rural development uh, funds, but also um, the, uh, uh, the regional policy funds um, and uh, the recovery and resilience um, uh, funding, um, which, is, which is very important, which can be used to a very large degree to um, in increasing uh, the uh, uh, the um, uh, the energy performance of of buildings and renewable energy more broadly uh, by stimulating economic activity uh, that basically the, the 
were born out of the coronavirus crisis, which now seems, uh, of course, a long way down the road with all the other new challenges which we are facing. But still, this this the money which is still available can be, and and the money which has been already used has been made available for those purposes. But it will not be enough. It will have to be combined with national um, state aid, national subsidies. Um, we have always argued that there's a very strong public interest component, public good component of, of um, helping to invest. Uh, this is not basically wasted money. It's in, in investing in the value and uh, of, of buildings um, and the wealth of citizens and of the whole country because we uh, need these investments to save actually um, expenditure on fossil fuels yeah? so and to strengthen our economy so it basically is not a loss in value it is a, an investment to uh, to uh, to improve the economic and social well-being of our societies so uh, that actually justifies even more that we invest from the public side and and see it really as as money not being lost but but preserved for future generations even, of course, sometimes we are in a liquidity challenge and financing challenge um, now with interest rates rising um, again. So this is not easy, but it has to be tackled. And I think um, what is crucial is that we need to um, uh, collectively ensure continuity and predictability of financing. This is a long term challenge for decades to come. It will not be uh, done in a few years. We have to make sure that uh, for each new government uh, at a national level, but also for the European Union when developing a new multi-annual financial framework, in this case now as of 2027, there will be continuity of financing, not reducing the volumes and, and make sure that the priorities will still be served. But that's something which we really have to work hard on, that this is this is maintained and, and that each member state and the EU keep that in mind. Um, working very close together with the important financial institutions, the European Investment Bank, uh, um, the European Bank for um, Reconstruction Development for some of our member states and, and uh, neighboring countries, and of course the EU financing itself uh, and the member state finance to bring that together. But I think it's impossible for citizens to understand that it's not even necessary because um, at the recipient end, I would say, uh, it requires that the financing is brought together in accessible and understandable financial instruments, which citizens can use by simply making a request to ask, um, I need so and so much, that's my investment, um, I need um, this financing volume, can you help, how do I get it, and that some professional advisor actually helps you asking for it. It's it, Otherwise, it would not happen. People would simply uh, lose confidence or, or simply get lost. Yeah? So including people like myself, I mean, I'm I'm involved in policymaking, but as a citizen, of course, I'm also confronted with the complexity of, of, of life and including in a renovation, I think you need um, advice from people who are doing that all the time, who know to reduce the information costs, the, the transaction costs. That someone says, I've done it 25 times already uh, this week, so thanks, uh, here uh, is your request. Are you okay? Does it meet your challenges? Sign here and then it's gone. So it has to be so that easy um, as part of the one-stop shop advice uh, or energy adv advisors basically being active, that people can use it and, and have sufficient confidence to using it. Okay, thank you, Stefan. I think um, that advice, especially, um, you know, what you said about financing um, are definitely key take takeaways for people um, who have been watching the debate. Okay, we've run out of time. Um, so what I would say, the key takeaways 
if you've been watching, we've talked about choice, we've talked about clean energy, we've talked about a mixed technology approach, having a roadmap, money, as Stefan's pointing out there, information, consultation of communities, changing mindset, um, especially of the people in charge, um, and to ensure that there is planning in place, especially when we talk about you know, winter months and not just this winter, but planning for the future. Okay, so we're gonna have to leave it there. I hope everyone has enjoyed this debate. Thank you to Stefan Moser, MEP Sean Kelly, Seamus Boland, and Ewa Abramik-Lete. Thank you all so much for being part of this discussion. Um, and to everyone who's been watching online, I hope that what you've seen has given you a flavor of the debate surrounding energy performance at Buildings Directive and how it could be really transparent. And even watching a debate with Liquid Gas Europe in partnership with Euractive. Take care and bye-bye.